0: Now, the Hunt Palmer Show. You are now listening to The Hunt Palmer Show on 1045 ESPN Baton Rouge. Walking down the middle of the day. Live from the Mercedes Benz of Baton Rouge studios. This is Hunt Palmer.
1: Hunt Palmer coming to you from the Mercedes Benz of Baton Rouge studio downtown in the capital city on this Tuesday. Hope your work week is off to a good start. Appreciate you hanging out with us here on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge. Got Jacob Beck and Casey Gaines back there on the ones and twos and lots and lots and lots to get to here over the next two hours. Matt McMahon had his coaches show last night. We'll hear a little bit from that coming up. LSU baseball got a win yesterday. We'll hear a little bit about that. I also want to Briefly check in on what are the odds LSU makes the NIT. I can give you some information on that. I don't know if you care or you don't, but that's where we are in this basketball season. So we'll get to a little bit of that uh, later. College football playoff has made a determination. There was a vote this morning, and they're going to adopt the 5 plus 7 model for the 12-team playoff. Five highest-rated conference champions will get in, and then the seven highest-rated at-large teams will get in. I'll touch on that at 2 o'clock. Glenn West and Sharif Ishak always with us on Tuesdays. are both going to be with us in the second hour uh, today. Glenn is uh, part of the group of media that's meeting with Matt McMahon as we speak prior to their big matchup with Kentucky and then Sharif at 2.30, as he always is, talking Saints and Pels. So let's get rolling here on this Tuesday edition of the Hunt Palmer Show. Um, I wanted to start with a piece that Ross Dellinger put out, and he continues to opine and, uh, and write on the ever-shifting world that is collegiate athletics, and specifically college football. And his latest piece over on Yahoo says, college football's elite is engulfed in a power struggle. G5 left just trying to survive, quote, we are a farm system. And this piece that Ross writes was not earth-shattering in any way. It did not break any significant news. However, there are a couple of pieces to this story that I find interesting. One is the quotes. I am a journalism school graduate. Uh, we understand that in journalism, there is nothing more powerful than a quote. Writers can write, column writers can have their opinion, but but a quote from someone in authority is the most powerful thing you can have, whether it's a witness to criminal activity, whether it's a, a public figure making a statement on an incident, or whether it's just someone in sports in authority that, that gives their opinion. It's it's more powerful than anything the journalists can generally write, because it comes from the source. And I think there are some interesting quotes in here, and there are some numbers attached to LSU's football program in this story that we will get to. But I'll kind of weave through this, and it hits on a number of levels. It talks about uh, the transfer portal. It talks about name, image, and likeness. It talks about the college football playoff. It talks about revenues. Like There are a lot of different layers to this piece that Ross wrote, and I think it's really, really good. And it starts out, From the perspective of Will Hall, who's Southern Miss's head football coach. And the first quote from Will Hall says, I do zero football anymore. Zero football in my life right now. I do culture and recruiting. Clearly, he's not talking about September and October. There's some football involved in that. But he's talking about the offseason. He gets up and he goes and fundraises. He's got to go have the people that care about Southern Miss athletics writing checks for facilities, for name, image, and likeness, all these types of things. So he says, Look, I don't I don't coach football in the offseason at all. And then they go to Liberty's head coach and Jamie Chadwell, and they're talking about group of five players leaving for the power five. And Jamie Chadwell says, We are a farm system. He continues on, we're taking the approach that a freshman that if a freshman plays and does well, we're only gonna have him for one more year. And we know this reality. That is the way this thing works. When you open the transfer window portal window and you allow players to move freely, obviously players who excel at a lower level are going to move on to a higher level. That's natural in really any, obviously, line of work, but really anything in life. When you're at a level and you excel at that level, generally speaking, more opportunity opens up. And Chadwell obviously laments this But it is the truth. Um, And that part of this, at the beginning of this story where Coach Hall saying I'm doing fundraising and Coach Chadwell saying we're only going to have good players for two years, I sympathize with that. Not that the rules are blindly unfair, that this is some grave injustice to the group of five. It just makes their job really hard. And I'm here to recognize that. I don't know how else to say it other than man, you, you work really hard and you put in three years in some cases in recruiting high school athletes and you get their letter of intent and you bring them in and you start to develop them and then they leave really quick. Like that's It's hard to fill an 85-man football program when that turnstile is, is cooking. That's just the reality of it. So that's what they say. And because of this difficulty, Ross alludes to Sean Elliott leaving Georgia State as the head coach to go be the run game coordinator and tight ends coach at South Carolina. He points to Chip Kelly leaving UCLA to go call plays at Ohio State. Now, there were some other layers to that, but it's, it's certainly part of it. And so that's level one to this story it continues on and says and it talks about the revenue gap between the group of five and the power five this is the second piece to this story that i find very interesting in 2023 ross writes 43 power five public school athletic departments generated more revenue than the highest producing g5 the highest producing g5 athletic department san diego state 43 p5s outperformed them And that gap is growing, as Ross writes. Within three years, projections show the SEC and Big Ten earning nearly twice as much in TV distribution, 80 to 90 million, as their power four brethren, which is the Big 12 and the ACC, who will be closer to 40-50. So you got the SEC and Big Ten at 80 to 90 million. You got the ACC and Big 12 at 40 to 50. That will be three times the richest G5 league. The broke boys of the Power Five are three times richer than the richest in the G5. Like, that's a startling number. And it makes things very obvious. And the first place that this is starting to happen in this area is name, image, and likeness and opportunities for players to earn money by leaving Group of Five schools for P5 schools. And it's Jamie, uh, Rhett Lashley at SMU says it's a hopeless feeling. That's why you see coaches leaving. Terry Bowden, who was at ULM, says anybody who is six foot five at my school is gone. Even if it's to join a Power Five Scout team. If you're a 6'1 corner, you're gone. You lose your best players. Ross writes, Jamie Chadwell's Liberty team capped an undefeated regular season with a conference USA title and trip to the Fiesta Bowl. Three of their top returning players are gone. Defensive tackle went to Duke, cornerback went to Oregon State, and a wide receiver, who you know, went to LSU. That's CJ Daniels. He comes to LSU. Here's the quote that involves LSU from Chadwell. He says, those guys would be all conference for us talking about the defensive tackle corner and receiver. LSU paid for a car and apartment in like $300,000. What do you do? Well, this is two-sided. One is the money. And if LSU is willing to pay $300,000, and that's on the low end. I told you last week, I know somebody who is in finance. His company works in finance financial planning for different people and someone in his company represents a collegiate athlete, which is legal now collegiate athletes because they're now making money. They can have people manage their money. This person I know works at a company. He's seen the books for this collegiate student athlete who had an opportunity to move on professionally, decided not to. It's not at LSU, by the way, decided not to go pro. And they're now managing $1.5 million for this student athlete. So, $300,000 300000 for a wide receiver, that's what Jamie Chaswell's saying. That's, that's on the low end. But you're not going to get that at Liberty. You're not going to get that at ULM. And say whatever you want about the dollars and cents of this issue. That's out of my control, and I don't really know what goes on in that whole world. I do know this. Do we think that Jared Verse bettered his situation transferring from a low-level school to Florida State? Do we think that? He's going to go in the first round of this draft. He might have, staying at Albany, but Florida State, probably a better spot for him. How about Cody Schrader? Now, that's D2, and it's a little bit of a different deal, but I'm just talking about he goes to Missouri. He's an All-American. These guys have earned this opportunity, and so, yeah, Well, I do think it's a very hard job to be a G5 coach when your best players are moving on, The opportunity these guys are getting is unbelievable. How about we take it right here to Baton Rouge? Do we think Paul Skeens is the first pick in the draft worth $10 million if he stays at Air Force and catches for another year? No. I don't know how much money Paul Skeens made at LSU. I don't care. He showed up here. He had unbelievable resources and a pitch lab and great instruction. He picked up four miles an hour on his fastball, was the most prominent team in college baseball, was pitching in on the biggest stage in the sport in Omaha, and now he's the first pick in the draft. How's that bad for Paul Skeens? Sorry, Air Force. Like, I realize Air Force has a lot of money. Part of the government. But, I mean, coming to LSU is just a huge deal for someone who's put himself in that position because of the work he's put in, not only in three years at Air Force, but his entire life. So I just, I think that's fine. And the last piece of this is championships. And Rhett Lashley is quoted when talking about this new 12-team playoff where the top group of five team could theoretically get in and you'd be like a 12-seed play in a five. And he's quoted saying, imagine us going on the road against Georgia. You're done. The divide is becoming too great. That's a guy talking about as good as you can do getting into the playoffs and the quote is, you're done. Jamie Chadwell, Rhett Lashley are both proponents of the group of five branching off and creating their own football national championship. And that's what Ross writes about here. Says, Chadwell's calling it the mythical group of five national championship. You could hold them at bowl sites sandwiched among the college football playoff, put it in Vegas, put it in Miami, put it in Atlanta, put it at Jerry World, and hold that. Now, I don't know how much television revenue they could pull, but that's the reality of this situation. The group of five coaches are starting to beat this drum. The Power Five guys don't need Liberty. They don't need ULM. They don't need, and for the purposes of this conversation, where they are today, SMU. We don't. You don't need Cincinnati in that playoff a couple of years ago. It'll be fine if we just let Ohio State in with the one loss to Michigan. I promise. That's all anybody wants to see anyway. And now because the best players in the G5 are moving on to the P5, because there's so much revenue difference in the P5 and the G5, which is laid out explicitly here, it's just not the same sport. And everyone knows it. And I don't think that my 12-minute dialogue here has changed your opinion About this. In fact, I've been saying this routinely, and most people are in agreement on this. I do believe that some perspective from those who are in power in the G5 is important. There was one dissenting opinion here. It was the Toledo athletic director, Brian Blair, who says, When I talk to our fans, I don't hear a whole lot about remember that time we won a MAC title. I hear remember that time we beat Michigan or Penn State or Arkansas. Hope is one of the most incredible things this country has to offer. Toppling Goliath is what makes college football and college basketball so special. To me, it's what this country is all about. Yeah, I don't care about that. It's really fun on the Thursday of the NCAA tournament to see a buzzer beater go in, but we can crown a champion without it. And we certainly don't have to compromise the sport as a whole so that Toledo can maybe beat Michigan once every 50 years on September the 7th. We just don't. And I think the coaches realize it. And I think most of the athletic directors realize it. And I think everyone who's involved in collegiate athletics realizes where this is headed. I just thought, one, it was interesting to see them talk about a player that LSU landed and say it was $300,000, a car, and apartment. That's just a quote from a coach. I can't confirm that. But two... These G5 coaches are not fighting this. In fact, they want to break off. I don't know where their revenue streams come from. I don't know how to balance their books. As a collegiate athletic department, without some of this revenue that comes from the March Madness kitty and that comes from these trips to get blown out by 40 in September in football, Like I, that's not really my job to figure out. Somebody's got to. I'm not. I'm going to talk about how to crown national championships, how to distribute revenue, who to put on your football, basketball, and baseball schedule if you're right here in Baton Rouge. That's the important thing to, to me and and most likely to you. And this seems like everybody knows where this is headed. I just don't have a good timeline on it. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. You can read the entire story uh, up at Yahoo. It's called, As college football's elite is engulfed in a power struggle, G5 is left just trying to survive Quote, we are a farm system. Ross always does fantastic work, and this was very, very good stuff. Appreciate Ross for putting that out, and I uh, want to credit him because it's very, very, very good stuff. Matt man met with the, uh, actually met with Chris Blair last night on the Matt McMahon Show. They got a big one tomorrow night in the PMAC against Kentucky. We're talking about it next.
0: You are now listening to the Hunt Palmer Show.
1: Boudreaux's Electric. Fortunate enough to uh, run to Justin Boudreaux when we were out at the box on Friday. He was taking his little one to see some LSU baseball. His parents, Neil and Melissa, have been running Boudreaux's Electric for 40 years, and Justin has fallen right in their footsteps. It's a fantastic family run, owned and operated South Louisiana business. But like they're just an old mom-and-pop shop. They've got fantastic technology over there at Boudreaux's Electric. Your Generac generator is going to be monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week by the folks over at Boudreaux Electric. So if it fails just in the normal course of a day or, heaven forbid, during a storm or an outage, they're going to know about it probably before you do. And they'll send somebody out there to make sure that your Generac generator is fixed and running when you need it to come on. Give yourself the peace of mind that comes with that Generac generator and know that your power is not going to go out. Whether you're a business owner, have a commercial property and need that thing up and running even in the event of a storm or you're a homeowner like most of us, Got to make sure that your home is powered by a Generac generator when the power goes out. It's the folks at Boudreaux's Electric. Give us a call, 225-300-9389, 225-300-9389. That's the folks at Boudreaux's Electric.
0: You're listening to the Hunt Palmer Show on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge.
1: Talk a little about LSU's baseball win yesterday, which is going on while we were on the air, coming up in the next segment about 10 minutes. But Matt McMahon did have his weekly coaches show last night uh, with Chris Blair over at TJ Ribs. Have it most Mondays, depending on what LSU's travel schedule is and what their game week schedule is. But last night they did have their their weekly call-in show. Uh, Matt McMahon uh, gave a few updates on... Kentucky, who's coming up in a big one tomorrow night inside the PMAC. The first was on the status of Jalen Cook, who's missed a little bit of time.
2: Yeah, everyone uh, was in weights this morning, except uh, this afternoon with practice, Jalen's still doing his rehab. Was that in practice? Too early to tell what his status will be going forward this week as he recovers from the leg injury.
1: And that's a bummer. Um, I I know that LSU played very well uh, down the stretch and and got a huge win without Jalen Cook back on Saturday. And I know that there have been times where he's turned it over a little bit and he hasn't shot it great. But you want to have your full complement of players with Kentucky coming in. And Kentucky um, is is so good on offense and can get moving so quickly and score so fast that it's just nice to have as many veteran presences as you can out there on the floor to try to dictate some of the tempo. So no telling whether or not Jalen Cook's ready to go. I would suggest if he couldn't practice much, on Monday that it would seem like a bit of a long shot that he could go. But I just I don't know the severity of the injury right now, so we'll just have to find out uh, when we get inside the PMAC tomorrow whether or not LSU will have Jalen Cook. Kentucky will have basically its full complement of uh, offensive players. You're talking about a team that is third in the country in points per game and has been rolling them up really since back in, in November. When I first saw Kentucky this year, First, like two or three games, they're on more than most people because the SEC Network will jump on one of those early Kentucky games. So they know they'll pull a number when they uh, when they put Kentucky on. Um, they're fun. They just really, really are fun to watch on the offensive end of the floor. There are times where it's not all that pretty defensively, but just in terms of aesthetics on offense, it's really, really good. And Matt McMahon spoke about the amount of weapons that Kentucky will bring to the PMAC on Wednesday night.
2: I think just to back up the statement about them being talented, and that win on Saturday at Auburn, where they, where they held them to 59 points, they brought two guys off the bench who are projected top 10 picks in the draft in the National Basketball Association. So uh, last mock draft, us all had seven of their guys in the top 40. So uh, there are a lot of weapons there.
1: Yeah, a lot of really good players. I don't know if Cal's gotten the most out of them to this point, but there are a lot of really, really good players on this team. Antonio Reeds is going to get some All-American uh, mention. He's averaging about 20 a game for them. Uh, Rob Dillingham is going to be, he, he comes off the bench and he's hes probably going to be a top 20 pick in the NBA draft. He can really score and a score in 15 a game for them. Um, he's shooting 45% from three. And then there's Reed Shepard, who's a legacy at Kentucky. His dad played uh, for the Wildcats. And he has been fantastic. He's putting together one of the better shooting seasons I can ever remember in college basketball in the SEC and just doing it as a freshman. He's put up 105 threes, so it's about about five a game is how much he's putting up. He's shooting 51% from three. Now, if you watch Kentucky, Reed Shepard pretty much never takes a bad shot. He takes he doesn't even take that many shots. Um but he he shoots at an incredibly high percentage because he's such a good, uh, in terms of shot selection, and he leads the team in assists with 103. He's, he's fantastic. Those three guys in the backcourt for Kentucky are a load to deal with when they're playing well.
3: And I think it's worth mentioning, too, you mentioned there that that game against, that game against Auburn, in Auburn, they held them with 59 points. That's only the second time this season Auburn has scored less than sixty points, so it seems like Cal maybe have figured something out on defense
1: in the last few games. That or it was a one-off. Now, that's true. It's it, we'll we'll find out. Not that LSU is the, the globe trotters, but LSU is is pretty good uh, offensively. I mean, if you look back at what what Kentucky has allowed on defense pre-Auburn, um, they held Ole Miss to sixty-three, so that's pretty good. And Ole Miss has been pretty good on offense. Gonzaga got after him for eighty-nine. Um, Vanderbilt was a total blowout, so I don't really count that one, but look, Tennessee scored 103, so um, certainly the last two look better on statistically yeah. the, on, on defense, and there's no reason why Kentucky should not be a very good defensive team. They've got long players, they've got athletes, they've got tall players, like, they they have, and Cal's had some fantastic defensive teams that couldn't shoot threes. It's been it's all kind of a take from one hand you take from the other with what the rosters he's had um but it's it's a team that's built on his offense and Matt man talked yesterday uh, about wanting how kentucky wants to get up and run
2: uh, play extremely fast as evidenced by their 89 a game i'm sure coach Cal would say he enjoyed the way they played on saturday which was in a, a tough half court game against auburn uh, to hold them to 31 percent from the floor defensively and limit them to 59 points that's uh, why they were the first team to go in there and win this season. Uh, but I think they'll want to play extremely fast. Our transition defense will have to be really dialed in. And then, as we always talk about, good offense, smart offense usually leads to better defense. You know, we have to do a good job from an execution standpoint on offense. We can't turn the ball over. The best scoring teams in this league, they just make you pay for every mistake. Every turnover, you're going to pay for it the other way. If you come down and you take quick bad shots they're gonna make you pay and so we have to be very disciplined on both ends of the court
1: I My mean, man won't have to look far uh, on the tape to back up that statement we've seen it lucky
3: land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess ha! in my dentist's office even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com
1: and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Alabama has gone over a hundred twice on LSU. Auburn ran it up on LSU. Tennessee couldn't be stopped against LSU. The teams that really score in this league have scored a ton on LSU. And that's why I said yesterday when talking about that game against South Carolina, maybe it's a little better matchup for LSU to play a team that wants to grind you down and, and and play defense because LSU's pretty talented on offense and they can make some shots and they can hang around even with the tough defensive team. It's been when LSU wants to get into a shootout, it hasn't gone very well. And I promise that's going to be the case tomorrow. And I'm, I'm certain that that's not some sort of lip service from Matt McMahon over the air. I promise he's not getting on the air with Chris Blair and going, they're going to want to play fast. We've got to be disciplined. We've got to take good shots because bad shots are going to lead quickly. He's not going to say that on the air and then run to practice and go, all right, guys, this team stinks on defense. Let's go. Let's We can beat the... He, I promise he's not saying that. And the first time you see this thing running up and down like a track meet, tomorrow night in the PMAC, you'll know things are not at LSU's pace. Because as much as Matthew Man says, we want to play fast and we're at our best when we're moving, he knows they're not good enough You talk about having seven guys in the top 40 of the NBA draft. LSU's got none. None of the top 40. So if you want to get in a track meet with a team that's got better players than you, you're going to get beat. And there's proof. It's not some sort of hypothesis. We've watched it for two months. So I'm, I'm curious to see what LSU looks like if there's an evidenced slowing down of the ball. Carolina does that for you on Saturday. That's not anything that's LSU's doing. Look at Carolina's numbers all year long. They love playing games around 70. Low 60s, high 60s, low 70s. That's their bread and butter. Bama wants to play at 100. That's what they got. Tennessee wants to play. They like to play defense, but They can get score, too. And LSU couldn't stop them. And LSU's had a bad habit of getting behind by 15, 20 points. And you do that against this team, you will not catch up. You won't. They'll run away. So he said it. I'd like to have Jalen Cook out there to help facilitate it, but it's going to have to be Trey Hannibal and Mike Williams and those guys handling the basketball, certainly Jordan Wright, slowing things down and trying to play what's probably going to have to be the best game they play all year if you want to win in the PMAC. So I'm looking forward to breaking that thing down in its entirety. We'll go up to Lexington uh, and grab somebody that covers the, the Cats tomorrow, and I'll give my uh, my thoughts on the team in its entirety. But excited to get in there. I'm going to go uh, – I've only been to three games this year. I've uh, only been to three games this year, so uh, I'm going to be excited to get out there in the, into the uh, the P-Mac tomorrow. Uh, 8 o'clock tip should be a pretty good environment. LSU coming off a big win. Kentucky coming off a huge win. And Kentucky always draws, so it should be a lot of fun. Baseball got a win yesterday. I'll tell you what I saw coming up next.
0: The Hunt Palmer Show.
1: ESPN Bet is live in Louisiana. It's the official sports book of ESPN. ESPN Bet's the only place to find daily exclusives and offers with your favorite ESPN personalities and shows. You can sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Find all your favorite markets and bets like in game wagering, cross sport parlays, teasers, and all the props that you can handle. That's ESPN Bet. Download today. What a play! Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in partnership with Bears Lake Charles. Terms and conditions apply. See you for details.
0: You're listening to the Hunt Palmer Show on 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge.
1: LSU finished off a weekend wraparound sweep of uh, vmi and central arkansas yesterday we were on the air for uh the first part of that game yesterday um but i wanted to react to it here it was a four three final and i thought lsu's pitching was exceptional um again i'm not gonna sit here and claim that i know exactly how good central arkansas is they were a mediocre team last year I, who knows I, I i don't but i'm looking at the radar gun i'm looking at the location of pitches i'm looking at the final line score and my eyes are telling me that LSU pitched it very well yesterday. Kate Anderson got his first appearance as as a Tiger, and I was really impressed with him. I mentioned yesterday on the show, for those that may have been at the game not listening or just weren't tuned in yesterday for whatever reason and are today, I have not seen Kate Anderson in person. I went to a, a handful of fall scrimmages. I went to a handful of preseason scrimmages. Um, never saw him, and that's just coincidence. It's just one of those things you can't always predict uh, who you're going to see. Um But I obviously knew that there was a really good pedigree there, that they were very high on him. He was um, a draft risk coming out of St. Paul's over on the North Shore and um, just a really talented left-handed arm, and he showed all of that yesterday. Uh, The fastball was 94, 95 miles an hour at times. Um, he He threw a really sharp breaking ball that was really good, and he wiggled out of some trouble when it presented itself early. Um, He finished the day with four innings of three-hit baseball, only allowed an earned run. He walked uh, three and struck out six. I thought he looked really, really good. Um, It's not the smoothest delivery I've ever seen from the left side, but the results are, are impressive, and I think Kate Anderson has a really bright future at LSU, and it looks to me to be a guy that factors in on this pitching staff, which has... Just a ridiculous amount of depth on it uh, as we sit here through one weekend of the season. I thought Christian Little acquitted himself pretty nicely. He faced, uh, faced six hitters, went through an inning and a third, just one hit and a run, only one walk, which is an improvement for him. He was throwing a little uh, changeup that I saw that I really liked. It was fading away from left-handed hitters. He was kind of a fastball slider guy most of last year. So, again, I'm not telling you Christian Little's right there in line for huge high-leverage stuff right out of the shoot, but he's a guy that's got a lot of talent, and if they can harness it, and maybe Nate Yeski's matches the third pitching coach that he's worked with is the one that kind of unlocks a little bit of, of Christian Little. Gavin Guidry kind of had his swagger back yesterday, had a couple punch-outs in an inning and a third. I thought the last two guys who were newcomers were awesome and feel to me like two of the highest leverage guys that LSU has in the bullpen right now. That was Justin Lore, who threw an inning, he struck out three, uh, punched out the side, That was a spot late in the game. It was tight. Central Arkansas had a string of left-handed hitters coming up. Lore came in, he was challenging him with the fastball, and he was throwing a slider that's going to be really tough on left-handers. Again, Lore's not going to run it up there 95. That's not his game, but he's got a little bit of a herky-jerky motion. He's got plenty of life on the fastball, and the breaking ball looks really, really good. That's going to be his out pitch, and I thought he was fantastic. And then the guy that Jay Johnson gave his magic moment to, after the game, for those who aren't familiar or aren't on social media, don't know what the magic moment is, Jay says that at some point in the game there's a moment that tips things towards winning for LSU, and he awards this, the lineup card to whoever creates that moment in a given game. And yesterday, he gave it to Fidel Uyoa, who was awesome. He came in in a four to three game in the ninth inning for his second appearance as a Tiger, second appearance out of junior college, and he was nails. Got some really weak contact on on ground balls, and got a one two three inning, and he was also very very good in his one appearance on Saturday um, for LSU. So I think that's a guy they really like. Um, there's not a lot of junior college activity for LSU because the transfer portal kind of cuts that out. You can go get you know, Tommy White. You can go get Jacob Berry. You can go get Thatcher Hurd, and you can go get Gage Jump, and you can go get Justin Lore. Like That's that's kind of where we are with, the, with transfers. You get them from the Pac-12 and the ACC, not necessarily San Jacinto Junior College like you used to have to. Because in a previous life, when you got transfers, they had to sit out a year. So your transfers that were going to be immediate impact were going to have to come from junior college. And LSU's not going to rule out junior college. But you're going to be able to to do more damage from the D1 level. Uyoa is from a lower level. And Jay Johnson had a relationship with his head coach. He's known forever. And the guy said, look, I know you've got a high bar on what you're looking for, but I think you need to come look at this kid. LSU went and saw him offered him, and Jay told the story over the weekend that Uyoa actually committed to LSU while on an official visit to another school. We didn't say what school it was. I'm sure we could figure that out if we tried to dig deep enough, but that's a guy they targeted, and he looks really good. That's an upper 90s at times, fastball, a good breaking ball, and he seems, in two outings in tight games, to have a little bit of calmness to him, which is, is crucial, and you never know. How would you know how someone in junior college is going to handle being in a stadium that seats 11,000. You don't. But Uyo is a guy that, that LSU thought could help, and for him to get the ball in that spot with a one-run lead, I thought that was really impressive. And I, I'm, I'm seeing some things from some of LSU's um, unproven pitchers that you really have to like. I, the depth was never really in question um, as far as whether or not they had it, but just like how deep does this staff go? And man, yesterday was kind of evidence of where it is because kate anderson looked really good for four innings then you saw little and dj primo and gavin gidry and justin lore and Fidelioa, yoa and it was all pretty damn good in the end lsu allowed three runs on seven hits i thought were very very good i thought the pitching was the story of the game yesterday uh tommy white continues to, to hit the ball hard just not exactly when you got guys on base <laughs> he's he's had some opportunities with the bases loaded 2-1, and he hasn't really come up. But when he's had opportunities early uh, without a lot of pressure, a lot of guys on base, he's hit the ball very, very hard. Um, and it looked like LSU was going to blow this thing open in the first inning. They got a couple runs home, had the bases loaded, and nobody out. And, uh Didn't quite deliver a big, big punch, just a three spot. And then the offense kind of settled down after that and didn't do much. Only one run in the third. LSU was held scoreless in its last five plate appearances. And I think that's going to happen with this team. Saturday was a terrible day to hit, so I don't really care that LSU didn't hit all that well. The temps were in the 40s, wind was blowing in 30 miles an hour. That's a day where you need to lean on your staff, and if you need to win two to nothing, you need to win two to nothing. That's what they did. Yesterday was a little bit better day to hit. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
3: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Wouldn't exactly ball me, but it was, it was a better day to hit, and unless you didn't hit a ton, And again, I think that's going to happen every once in a while with this team. And that's what you've got this pitching staff for. They've got to go out there and and get it done. Now, it's going to be difficult to scratch more runs against Tennessee or Vanderbilt than it is Central Arkansas on a Monday when they've played four games in four days. But the point remains, I think there may be some times where LSU doesn't necessarily hit a ton and the, the the pitching staff is going to have to help bail LSU out in those instances. Uh, Jay Johnson mentioned after the game, there's going to be kind of a rotation with, I think, five guys. I don't know that he listed the five, but if you look at it, it's a combination of Pearson and Milam, who will help play second base, and then Jake Brown and Paxton Kling, who spend some time in right field and center field, and then maybe Ethan Fry, and maybe it's Jared Jones, Travinsky, but there's a there's a combination as I talked about because third base is locked down and shortstop's locked down and I think Bingham's kind of got his hands on on left field and we know that catcher's going to be a revolving door and I feel like Jared Jones has probably asserted himself there at first base at least in the early on he's got to prove he can be consistent against SDC pitching we kind of know what he can do against lower level early season pitching and he's doing that he had another home run he's got 3 already but there's going to be a rotation. Kling didn't play yesterday. Jake Brown got a day off. We saw Pearson sit down and Milam play. Milam didn't play on opening day. Brown played right and, and center. So like it's, it, there's a, a bit of a rotation there, center field, right field, second base, and maybe even first base. And that's the rotation they're going to go through, and those guys are going to get some days off here and there. You play a ton of baseball, eight games in the first ten days. You had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you get Tuesday and Wednesday off. Then you go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And incidentally, if you're listening and in Baton Rouge, you're coming in this weekend, the weather looks to be phenomenal. Uh, so I would highly suggest getting out to the box and enjoying some of the mid-70s, sunshiny weather. It's all well, she continues to play during the midday. They're going to play midday on Thursday. They're going to play midday on Friday. That stinks for us because we'll have an hour and then – They'll be on in the second hour of our show, and it kind of stinks for Matt because they'll be playing when his show opens in for the first couple of hours. But that's the way they're going to do things, uh, so go, go check out the Tigers this weekend. It should be, a, should be a fantastic weather weekend, and LSU is off to a 4-0 start. Um, they will turn their eyes to a weekend that features Stony Brook and...
0: Northern
3: Illinois.
1: Northern Illinois. Whatever. It's so interesting to me that Stony Brook, no one had ever heard of Stony Brook. They come here for a super regional in 2012, and then LSU's had them back a couple of times to schedule them. They got sent here for a regional one year, and now all of a sudden they come every three years. We see Stony Brook, but uh, none more impactful than that 2012 Super Regional, that's for sure. But LSU will play those two teams coming up this weekend at Alec Box Stadium. All right, when we come back, um, I want to talk about whether or not LSU can make the NIT and kind of where they sit. I know that's not the discussion we want to have Uh, at this point in the calendar, but it is what it is, and that's the team we cover. So I'll give you a brief uh, synopsis because the NIT rules have changed entering this year. I'll let you know what those are next. The Hunt Palmer Show. Audio, video, security solutions. AVSSLA.com is where you can find them on the internet. AVSS underscore BR is where you can find them on Instagram. Look, we watch so much at our home whether it's the big game, whether it's shows or movies when you've got kiddos or you have everybody over to watch the games of your home, make sure your home entertainment system is top of the line. The folks at Audio Video Security Solutions are here to do that, and they can make things so easy for you. You don't have to go pick out the TV and have somebody try to sell you that and then get it delivered or to lug it home and then call somebody else to go mount it. Just, nope, you call Audio Video Security Solutions. Call AVSS. They will handle the equipment. They'll handle the television. They'll handle the wiring and the speakers. They'll come over. They'll wire you all up, and you'll be able to control all of it with the touch of a button on your phone. Or if you just want to go super fancy, they can do voice automation for it. You can walk in the living room and say, watch a movie, and the curtains and blinds can come down, and the video, the screen can come out, and the speakers can come on. That's what you want to do. They can do it for you. They can do something as easy as mounting a TV or something as complicated as, hey, voice automation in your home. It's audio video security solutions at avssla.com. That's avssla.com.
3: This February, 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge and Citizens Bank and Trust are here to offer you a holiday rebate to the tune of a thousand dollars in cash to help out. Signing up is as simple as heading to 104.5 ESPN.com. It's our annual holiday rebate gift to you from Citizens Bank and Trust and 104.5 ESPN Baton Rouge.
0: This is the Hunt Palmer Show brought to you by Rouse's Supermarkets.
1: If you were listening to Live at Lunch, um, right at the beginning of their show, uh, Charlie started laying out the possibilities for LSU to make the NIT this year, and Jimmy essentially said that was the stupidest discussion in the history of radio. (laughs) And while I am fully on board with losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament is a far better year than winning the NIT, absolutely. I would much rather get in and get beat by 30 in the NCAA tournament than win the NIT, period. Period. Um, that's not where LSU is, and that's the team we cover. And so I've gotten asked a few times over the last week, like, can they make the NIT? And my answer's always like, yeah, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time like, looking at that. Well, nice win against South Carolina, and you've got five winnable games at the end of the year, so it's very possible for LSU to make the NIT and get a, a home game. Um, I'll tell you how that works out. First of all, it used to be that the NIT took all of the conference regular season champions who did not win their conference tournament and did not get in at large, those teams all got in. You were guaranteed in the NIT if you won your league during the regular season and didn't get into the NCAA tournament. They threw that out. Said, no, we're not doing that. And that's going to benefit the Power Six. What the NIT has done is they're going to guarantee two teams based on the net rankings from the top six conferences, which is the ACC, Big East, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, and Southeastern Conference, Top two teams based on net that don't get in are in. That's going to bring in 12 spots. And then they're going to go out and select the other 20 teams to make the 32 team field. So LSU needs to be to get an automatic bid into the NIT. One of the top two teams in the SEC in the net that doesn't make the NCAA tournament. So here's how that shakes out the top five right now in the SEC, in the net, are securely in. Now, the bottom could fall out for Florida. The bottom could fall out for a couple of those. But Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, and Kentucky are very much in. That's four. And right now, Florida's in. That's five. Florida's like a seven seed. And they got, they'd have to really run out of steam to get in. So that's five. Ahead of LSU in the net beyond that are Mississippi State, Texas A&M, South Carolina, and Ole Miss. All of those teams are in, according to Joe Lenardi, today. lenardi has got Mississippi State as a 10 seed. He's got a as an 11. He's got South Carolina um, very much in. They would have to have a bottom out, bottoming out um, at 59 in the net. And then he's got Ole Miss as the last four in. And there's a pretty big drop-off from Ole Miss to LSU. That is 23 spots. Because LSU's net, as we sit here today, is at 88. But if Florida, Mississippi State, a and and South Carolina and Ole Miss... All make the tournament, which get the SEC. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams in. LSU would get in. Now, if LSU were second, meaning Ole Miss didn't get in, they'd get in. You'd be in the NIT, and you'd have a home game. Georgia's behind LSU. I don't know if you realize this. Georgia's lost six straight games. They were playing pretty well. They beat LSU at the buzzer, and then they've lost six straights since then. Sure. And then behind Georgia are teams that are out of the picture Arkansas, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. So what you've got is a log jam, and there's too many games to play with everybody having five games left. There's too many games to play for me to tell you, yeah, they're probably gonna get in. Yeah, there's too much variance. But the teams you're watching, if you're LSU or Ole Miss South Carolina, uh, Ole Miss AM and Mississippi State. South Carolina would need to really back up to not get in, but their net's bad at 59. It's Ole Miss, A&M, and Mississippi State. If all three of those teams get in, LSU's in the NIT. And I get asked, well, is there any value in getting into the NIT? You know what? If they played some, you know, Big 12 team or ACC team at the PMAC and the NIT, I'd probably go. And in a world like the, the world that Will Wade's first team played in, you knew that Tremont Waters would be back. You knew that Skylar Mays would be back. You knew that Nas Reed was coming and Emmett Williams was coming and Darius Days was coming. Like, you knew Javante Smart was on the way. So you were, you were very much building between the guys that were going to be back and the guys that were coming in. I don't know if Mike Williams is on this team next year. I don't know if Tyrell Ward's going to be on the team next year. I don't know if Jalen Reed's going to be on the team next year. I don't know. I know Jordan Wright's not going to be on the team. So it's hard for me to suggest that you're building something with this core. You might be. You could. But I don't know. Again, nobody wants to sit here and talk about the NIT. But that's where this team is. It's very, very stupid of me to start talking about, well, what if they went out? Can they get in the NCAA tournament? Because there's no evidence to suggest they'll do that. And I'm going to watch them play Kentucky, and they're coming off a really nice win. And you got a coach who's trying to get this thing pushed in the right direction and start moving up. I'd love it if this team was going to make the NCAA tournament. I had no no expectation that they would. I wanted them to win six, seven, eight, nine league games, and they're probably going to win six, seven, eight, nine league games. They could be on the low end of that. They could be on the high end of that. And the high end of that probably gets you into the NIT. And it gets you a home game. So I'll probably check it out. But I'll reiterate, just to make Jimmy happy, because I don't want to... He, he was he was getting cranky. He said, we're not throwing a party for the NIT. Nobody's throwing a party for the NIT. Not one LSU fan, period, is throwing a party for the NIT. But that's all that's there to be had. So see if they can go out there and beat Kentucky tomorrow night. Uh, but they're looking pretty good for an it spot at this point that's it for hour number one here on this tuesday if you're looking for something to do tonight plucker sports trivia eight we'll be hanging out hope to see you. we're gonna pause for sports and when we come back college football playoff made a big announcement we know how it's going to work how does lsu get in we'll talk about it at the top of hour two
3: okay round two name something that's not boring
0: a laundry <sighs> oh a book club <sighs>